Hi, I'm Bashar and you're listening to Skirmish Podcast. This is episode 5 and joining us today is game designer, developer and pixel artist, Brennan Vitek. When I started looking into the game industry and attending game events, I noticed a kind of problem in the community of game makers. There seems to be a place for each talent where artists have places like ArtStation and Dribble and game developers would have places to post about their games. However, the community is scattered. Composers are on different sites and voice actors are on different sites. So I thought of a place where all these talents can come and show their work and start connecting with each other and finding the talents that they need. And this is where Skirmish comes in. So please check us out at skirmish.io and consider signing up. Brannon, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited today. I'm very excited as well. Uh, Let's start by knowing a little more about you. Can you tell us a little about you growing up, your education and getting into the game industry? Yeah, sure. Um, So I live in the United States, born and raised in Georgia. Um, I grew up um, probably similarly to how a lot of other game devs uh, grew up is playing video games, right? (laughs) Uh, That's weird. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) So one of my uh, biggest sources for, say, getting into games is uh, my older brother. Um, He is about a decade older than I am. So there was never any like sibling rivalry or beating each other up or anything. It was like everything he did was always like the coolest thing ever. And I wanted to be involved with it and I wanted to like do it with him. Um, So I have very vivid memories of sitting down like on the other end of the couch where he'd let me sit and watching him play Zelda and Final Fantasy and all that stuff. And uh, everything about the games just enthralled me, all the music and all the visual effects and stuff. Um, So I kind of grew up under the wing of my brother introducing me to more and more games. And uh, by the time I was able to you know, have my own money and buy my own games and that kind of thing. It was, it was just like a match made in heaven went from there. Mm. Um, so I got, and I'll probably be able to talk uh, a little bit more about this later, but originally I was going to be an engineer, uh, specifically a field called mechatronics, which is like a Swiss RB knife of robotics and software and that uh, kind of thing. Um, I, I liked robots a lot as a kid, um, but then again, like what little guy doesn't like robots? Uh, so my family was just like, oh yeah, no, he'll be an engineer. So I was just kind of told that for a long time. Uh, and then when I found out that there is such a thing as college for video games, <laughs> Your I... <laughs> <learned something>. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, and I'll talk a little bit more about that later. Um, but yeah, no, it was all just made right from there. Uh, great. And uh, since you mentioned your brother is the one who got you into games, uh, is he anywhere around game industry right now, or? <laughs> so he is a um, he is a uh, graphic artist and a okay. web designer kind of guy. He's very very good with logos and images and three D modeling and that kind of thing. He's really really good artist. He's wanting to actually start making mobile games. He has a little project he's doing like with Unity on the side. Um, aside from his job and uh, I think seeing me like going to college and making these things makes him want to get into games (laughs) Um, so yeah no he I think he he wants to um, 
but starting from scratch is hard. <laughs> uh, you can you can tell me about it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so. As you're studying game design and development in college, it means you've already made your choice to make a career out of it. And at what point did you decide you went to take this path? Well, already you mentioned that when you find that as a college. Uh, but did it scare you a bit seeing how hard game developers' life can be and how it may be less rewarding financially very often? Yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> so I remember it was the... 12th year of my public school, high school. Um, and I was looking yet again on the website for my college at how many math classes I was going to have to take for mechatronic engineering. <laughs> um, and then, so I was looking on the, uh, say, a uh, academic calendar of the school and I saw something called a game jam was over weekend. I was like, Oh, what's a game jam? And I kept clicking and clicking and clicking. And I was like, Oh, there's a whole, there's a whole major for video games. Like, that's awesome. And I was looking more and more into it. And I had always loved making little things for people to play. Like, I remember even when I was a kid, I would make board games out of Legos and include, like, dice and stuff for people to play. And uh, when Skyrim came out and they released the, what was it called, the creation kit uh, to the public... And you could get in there and use their tools to place in characters and drag buildings and stuff around. I was all about that. I, I loved it. Don't even get me started on the things that would make in Minecraft. <laughs> um, I saw you playing Minecraft today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, somebody's of mine were like, oh, let's, let's, let's do it for old time's sake. Um, so after seeing that on the school's website. I remember I sent a group text message to both of my parents and I said, I have something to talk about at the dinner table tonight. Um, it did, I wouldn't say it scared me, but I know that this is an industry where to stand out, you have to be really good at what you do. So no, it didn't scare me uh, as much as it did want to uh, push me to be better and better and better. And I, I always want to succeed. I've always been very driven about the creative things I do, like in school doing math and science and it's, it's whatever. But like when I ever had the opportunity to make something, I always had this internal competition with myself to always be better and better and better and better. So I knew that going into games would fit that kind of mental style, I guess. Um, but after, after being around game design for two years and I've went to local companies like uh, Hi-Rez and Tripwire uh, Interactive, they did Killing Floor, um, and I've done some interviews with them and they're all talking about how much of a scary world it is out there, ooh, ooh, but then going to SiegeCon and everyone's like, oh, this is so much fun. Look at these indie games we're making. I'm seeing so many mixed opinions about how scary and hard it is. So at the moment, I'm going into it feeling like I'll just make it however I want to make it. Mm -hmm. um, I plan on going into a company like a bigger game design company where I can have a regular paycheck <laughs> mm -hmm. and then going and then going indie later. So I'm not too scared about the finances. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, all right. So you describe yourself as a game programmer 
pixel artist and a dabbling composer. <laughs> it's, it's hard enough to excel at just one. Most people find it very hard to combine two skills. You and you're going for three. Why? <laughs> tell, tell us about this. Yeah, so um, I get asked this a lot, actually. Um, so it all has to do with uh, the circumstances of what I've done before coming to college. So the music, I did that all throughout public school. Sixth through twelfth grade, I sang in chorus. Uh, in high school, I did jazz band, I did drumline, I did percussion. I was just all about music. I really, really loved it. So my prior music experience through public school obviously gave me a big jump boost into starting it through games. Um, pixel art, I'll be honest, we're going to jump back to Minecraft. That was the first time I ever <laughs> like even thought about pixel art on a, uh, on a, much, on a much bigger scale. Um, I remember the first thing I ever did was I made my, uh, like, character clothes. I went into the texture files for the game and, like, drew in my own little, like, textures for the clothes on my character. I remember having a lot of fun with that. Um, I've always enjoyed pixel art games, um, but when I got to college, I just kind of took a screw it, let's do it attitude, and uh, I just kind of started doing it. I didn't really, I didn't feel intimidated by trying to do artwork or anything at the start i was like yeah this sucks but i'm gonna keep doing it and keep doing it now it's becoming a little bit more of uh something i feel like i'm pretty good at and so that just came from there um the programming that just comes from the classes like that's what they teach you here especially for the first two years it's a lot of unity specific programming actually the introductory classes are half of it is C-sharp console, so you're making things like login screens and virtual customer order menus and things like that. Uh, and then the other half of these classes is in Unity, so you learn how to make inventory systems and character controllers and that kind of thing. Um, so it's the pixel art comes from me as a hobbyist doing it on on the side just over and over and over again all the time the music comes from that's just how I, how i grew up i had a lot of music and the programming i'm learning here mm. uh so you're studying currently at the Kennesaw state university am i pronouncing it correctly yes there you are all right and you say most of your study is c-sharp programming and unity does it then go into game design theory and other stuff or is that the uh focus of it yeah yeah it goes into a whole bunch of other stuff so the first kind of like how the course is set up the first year is c sharp and unity to get you actually making games making physical things that you can play and show people after that the courses get a little bit more advanced recently i just finished up one called uh digital media and interaction and that's uh, game camera theory, lighting, uh, shaders, right? That kind of thing. Using Unity, for example, um, for the class. But um, it's kind of skills that can be applied to game design theory uh, in general. There is a class called Fundamentals of Game Design where you're working with board games and you're analyzing what makes a game fun to play and all these different like, core elements of things before you even get into the programming. Um and then you go on later and you'll have classes which do C++ and all this kind of stuff. There's an artificial intelligence class. Like I'm very, very fortunate 
to be here because by the time a game design student leaves, they are very well equipped with a multitude of skills. Mm. Sounds really good. Uh, so what is life like as a game design student? Uh, does it feel like regular college or it's constant experimental game ideas? It is a lot of fun going around or is <laughs> still have the college stigma? <laughs> Yeah. Something I like to tell people is that I go to nerd school. <laughs> um, <laughs> so there's like a there's a common stigma about colleges. Now, I don't know how it is with the rest of the world, but there is a stigma about American colleges where it's a bunch of kids getting drunk and party time and that kind of thing. Um, but not at my school. Uh, at my school, a party is inviting a bunch of people over to play Smash Brothers and drinking <laughs> soda. <laughs> I can't fit in. <laughs> For once, I can fit in a party. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, I, I didn't do a whole lot of that kind of thing in high school either. So coming here, um, it's like I'll get a text from someone and they're like, hey, we're having a party. And I'm like, oh, okay. And I don't want to... I don't really, I'm not into that kind of atmosphere with the drinking and stuff. And I, I show up at the door and everyone has their Nintendo Switches hooking up and playing like speed runs of Zelda side by side. <laughs> it's just, yeah, no, it's, um, the student life here is awesome specifically for the game designers because we have a whole room in one of the buildings that's uh, devoted just to playing games. It's, uh, they all have like, Alienwares with Windows 7 hooked up to them and Steam's installed. And uh, so the community for it is really, really great. Um, but that's only a certain percentage of it. It's still a regular school. It's a tech school. And therefore, there are your normal hard classes. Mm -hmm. I have. Um, you still have your calculus and your economy and uh, writing and all that stuff. That's all still there. Um so, but yeah, it, it's it's about half and half. But you mentioned uh, economy. Why mm -hmm. is it to teach NDs not to go bankrupt or something? What's the goal? <laughs> um, uh, I haven't taken econ yet, but if it's anything like the econs I took in public school, it's uh, learning about the intricacies of the economy of a country so like how our currency works and okay. i i don't know i'm not i was never too good at that kind of thing but um i'm sure a little bit of it is uh personal finance personal financing skills as well uh, are the math classes designed and geared towards game uh, applications or are they still general math because in college we used to learn laplace transform fourier transform and we had no clue and I still, till today, <laughs> did not find myself single time using these things. So, <laughs> so does it feel like, okay, I know why I need to run this, and it's geared toward game design, or it's still the same math we took? No, it's still the same math. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> math will never change. No, so, um, so we have, uh, we call them uh, gen eds, general education classes and it's every major no matter what you are you have to take the same kind of gen ed classes so everybody has to take a u.s history everybody has to take a global history everybody has to take a writing class and math is included i actually just got out of 
Calculus 1, and forgive my language, but it kicked my ass so hard. Uh, Calculus that, that, sucks, it's stupid, and I hate it. Calculus 1 <laughs> should be the easy thing. I remember Calculus 3 and then Differentials. Differentials was the nightmare for me. <laughs> yeah, no. Just, so just, just get me past. I, I don't care. Yeah, no. I um, I I've I've never been one for straight math. I love game math though because I can see it unfold in front of me. It's like Cartesian coordinates, it's vectors, like that kind of stuff makes sense. But all the theoretical stuff on pen and paper, and then you get in there on test day, and it's not even multiple choice. And it's like, man, uh, um, me, multiple choice is worse because you have to either hit it or you get a zero. I tried that. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, true. Um. However, you um, for whatever major you have, you don't have to take all of the math classes. So there's like a couple dozen kinds of math classes, but for straight like pen and paper or whiteboard traditional math classes, game designers don't have to take past calculus. It all then goes into computer-based math, which is a bit more specified for games. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, right. So... I know you've been toying with some experimental games or uh, for the last time uh, for the past few years but do you have anything that you can call shipped that I shipped this game? Um, yes actually so I am part of a kind of like a game jam team of colleagues and friends here uh, and last fall? Yeah last September or so uh, we created a scary game during the school's yearly game jam um, that you can find on my website, free to download from Mac and PC. Um, and it's called Silent Night. Uh, it was a game jam and the theme was beat. And so while everyone else was doing like vegetable puns for their game and like rhythm type stuff, uh, we decided to take it in the direction of heartbeat. And uh, we made a scary game about it. So you are... Uh, you're in this creaky old house at night uh, and you have a flashlight like every other scary game. Um, and we have like a system where there are five objects in the house that make a lot of noise and they will turn themselves on at random at certain time intervals. And you have to run around the house solving little like quick time key puzzles to turn the objects back off. Uh-huh. And all the while, you have uh, a monster that's turning invisible, invisible outside of the player's vision. And he kind of like stalks and stares you down the entire time. And if you look anywhere near the monster, it'll play a scary sound and he'll like dive towards you and then vanish. And you have like a stress bar that you can't uh, get up too high. We made that during a game jam. Not the whole thing, uh, but the core parts of it we did. And then... uh, it won the school's contest Ooh, and we were able cool. yeah yeah uh, along with one or two others we were able to show it off at SiegeCon, which is the southern inter something expo for games it's a game development convention in the southeast usa um we were able to show it off at a booth and uh everybody loved it it was really really fun to have people playing our game and that was kind of a big point in my life as a game dev where people were thoroughly enjoying something that i had made it was just an awesome feeling uh our whole team was there supporting each other for it um 
I don't know. It was now I'm starting to get a little ranty about it, but you can find it on my website. Yeah, it's called Silent Night and uh, free to play. Uh, is it a 3D or 2D game? It seems like 3D from what you explained. Yes, it is 3D. It is it is a 3D game. Uh, I'm way more, I won't say proficient, but I'm going to say comfortable working in 2D spaces. Um, I don't want to say that and have it be like a crutch for me, but it was good experience for the whole team of us to uh, dump a lot of resources into working with 3D games. We have a 3D modeler, we have a texturer, and then we have the rest of us are designers and programmers. And uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun. Awesome. Uh, you were recently involved in two online game jams in the past few months. Can you tell us more about these and what you worked on? Yeah. Um, there, it might just be, be uh, because I only woke up two hours ago, but I can only remember the recent online game jam I did. I don't know the second one you're talking about. Uh, really? I must be confusing you with someone else then. Why uh, I, maybe I might, I'm confusing you with someone else. Sorry about that. <laughs> uh, it's fine. It's fine. Um well, specifically, I know I did uh, Adventure Jam, which I saw somebody I know on Twitter, I think, had shared it. And uh, I was like, oh, that's cool. And I looked more into it. And the description was, make anything that incites adventure to you. And I was like, wow, that's broad. Okay, cool. Um, and so I was talking to some buddies of mine about it. There's a game design and d- development club here on campus. Um, and so... And everyone seemed to be really into it. Um, and they're like, you want to make teams? And I was like, yeah, sure, we'll make teams. Uh, but closer and closer to it, uh, more and more people started to back out of it. Mm-hmm. Because granted, it was like the last week of finals. But more and more people started to, nah, I can't do this this weekend or whatever. So I decided to work on it by myself. Uh, try and do the whole thing from scratch, which was an adventure, <laughs> so to speak. <laughs> um so I decided to try and remake basic Pokemon mechanics. I'm not like super into Pokemon, but I did play it very casually as a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I wanted to challenge myself making uh, a battle system, finding like t- uh, tall grass and walking around in there and using an eight by eight pixel art uh, r- r- restrictions, um, which was fun. Normally I do 16 by 16 for all my textures and stuff but 8 by 8 there's not a whole lot of room to work with so you're challenged to get a lot of detail with as minimal space as possible um so i spent uh friday night saturday and sunday doing this jam and i live streamed most of it uh i think we'll talk a, a, a little bit more about that later um but i think i probably spent like maybe 20 hours out of that whole weekend, just like in my face doing programming and unity work and stuff. It was a lot of fun. It was a good way for me to unwind after all the finals and stuff. Uh, and I feel like I got a pretty good product out of it. Uh, this week I'm going to take some time and, um, try and push that one onto HIO and my website and stuff. Cause I really want to share that one. Uh, Tell us about the live streaming. I was able to catch maybe five, ten minutes from it, and it sounds like a lot of fun. How do you feel? Does it, <laughs> does it help you stay motivated? Uh, does it get you a bit more nervous? And do you get useful feedback as you move along? Uh, yes to all of those. Um, 
I did love it. I had a lot of fun. Um, by nature, through all the musical stuff I did in school, uh, I love to perform. I love to be in front of a crowd doing things. I really do enjoy public speaking. But weirdly enough, I'm pretty shy when it comes to uh, talking to people through a computer, kind of like we're doing now. I was actually <laughs> pacing. I was kind of pacing the room a few minutes before we started, like, okay, you can do this. Uh, <laughs> that should be the least of your worries. Trust me. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, so, and like, I know this is a very digital world now and a very digital industry specifically. So I know talking with people through microphones over the internet is going to be very commonplace. Um, so part of my choice to stream was to get more used to that. Uh, it was to get more used to narrating and being, uh, part of the live streaming was to get more used to, uh, I suppose, addressing a crowd, uh, speaking to other people, uh, if I'm doing things online, it's just, uh, for, let's say digital communication experience. Um, also cause it seemed fun and I wanted to do it and it was a lot of fun. Uh, having people watching definitely helped me stay motivated, um, because I wasn't able then to be able to sit there and just kind of blankly stare at something and let my mind drift off. And if the code was broken, I wouldn't just sit there and like say a few swear words and stick my <laughs> face on my desk. <laughs> um, I, I had people watching. I could probably do that, but I couldn't do it for very long. Um, <laughs> you have no idea how many times. Oh my God. Um, but yeah, so, um, it was fun. Uh, I had a couple friends I've made through Twitter hop on and join and they're, um, they were able to bring their game development knowledge to help me with little code examples and give me ideas. Uh, one of my favorite things specifically was when I was designing the little mons for the Pokemon game, mm -hmm. I was asking around for suggestions mm -hmm. uh, and the chat had given me some really, some really, really fun ones. Uh, but I know specifically when I posted it uh, in the skirmish discord, I had said, hey, I'm making this game. I need little Pokemon suggestions. And Bashar here just sends me a video of a crab holding a knife and says this. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh my god, yes. <laughs> And so I had um I had pulled up the Discord message on the stream and I was like, all of you need to see this right now. <laughs> <laughs> and everyone was like, yes, no, you have to do it. So um yeah, it was really fun because I felt like I was hanging out with people, right? I'm a very social person, I'm very extroverted. Um, and having people around as I'm in my creative flow, uh it really keeps me motivated and going. I really do like it. Are you considering making it uh, something more common, uh, like on Twitch, for example? So, like doing uh, regular streams? Yes. Uh, probably. Um, it's too early to tell at the moment, specifically because of how scattered uh, being in college makes your schedule. Um, but I'm working on my big project right now is, uh, Ninja couch party. And that's something I would, I want to have 
like version 1.0 finished by the end of the summer. Um, so I think taking Saturday afternoons to stream for four or five hours. So I'm getting regular work done on it would be really important. <laughs> so I, I would like to absolutely. Uh, I'll just have to see how the scheduling goes. Awesome. Yeah. Good luck. Thank you. Uh, so uh, tell us about the game development community in, in Georgia, outside the campus, I mean. Do you get a lot of hangouts and events? Uh, do you have uh, several game studios around here? Yeah, yeah. So uh, game studios first. We have High res who makes Smite. That's a 40-minute drive away from me right now. Uh, we have Tripwire Interactive, which is responsible for the Killing Floor series. They did uh, Red Orchestra, I think, a lot of shooting games. Those guys are half an hour from where I am. Uh, Xaviant Studios, I'm not sure what they do, actually, but they're a game studio. Uh, and finally, we have Blue Mammoth, which is making that uh, indie fighting game called Brawlhalla. Um, so it's... It's not huge, but it's starting to be. Atlanta's starting to become a pretty good hotspot uh, for game companies. And that what I said are just the big guys. There's lots of little indie studios dotted here and there. It's, it's growing very, very quickly. Um, Georgia has the uh, Georgia Game Developers Association. Mm -hmm. uh, and they have different chapters. So I'm in like the northern chapter there. There's like the southern chapter, eastern chapter, etc. Um, and that is an awesome, awesome c community. They have meetings. I think it's like the first Tuesday of every month or something like that. They're the ones responsible for SiegeCon, I had mentioned. Um, and there's a big like connectivity group meetups for game jammers all around Georgia. Um, actually, at SiegeCon, I had met one of the like secretary writers, I don't remember her position, uh, but I met an artist through that club. Uh, she goes to a school uh, a couple hours away from me, and through knowing her, um, her school was having a uh, student showcase expo thing for a day. Um, through her and through the president of the Georgia Game Developers Association, I was able to get a booth there at that little showcase day thing at the college. Uh, so that's even more motivation to <laughs> push my game further. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah, it's it's very, very tightly woven. Everybody kind of knows each other. That's nice. Seems like a great community. Uh, so right now you're in your second year in college, right? Yes, sir. And so that makes you how far from graduation? And you mentioned you're aiming at companies to begin with. Can you give more specifics about what type of companies and what type of roles you're looking for? Yeah, yeah. Um, so <clears throat> normally people take four years-ish to graduate college. Um, reality, at a tech school, it's going to be like four and a half, maybe five, uh, just the way things go. Because um, it also depends on if you take summer classes or if you take uh, internships that count for school credit and that kind of thing. Um, <clears throat> realistically, I'm probably looking at four and a half, maybe five years. I don't mind. I like it here at school. It's a great place. Um, so I'm, I'm about halfway through, if not a little under. I, I still have a little ways to go. 
Um, but I plan on, while I'm in school, building up my network, getting names and connections and that kind of thing. Um, and kind of seeing where my schooling takes me as far as getting into uh, companies and stuff. High res I had mentioned is working on uh, a team fortress over style, over style, uh, overwatch style game uh, called paladins. And uh, they had an internship for this summer. I wasn't quite, um, I wasn't quite what they were looking for yet, but they had an internship for level designer. And I got really, really excited about that. Um, so what I plan on doing is looking at these internship, like staff opportunities throughout these companies, landing those jobs while I'm a little later in school. And then after I graduate, I will have those names and maybe I will have a steady job and work from there. Great. That's, that's great. You have, you have plans. <laughs> yeah. You have plans laid out. Uh, yeah. yeah. Okay. So. Today, things are a lot easier to build and publish your own game. And there are a plethora of free and cheap tools, tutorials, and assets to choose from. And then there is the iOS, Android, Steam, HIO, and even consoles are becoming much more accessible to indie developers. So what would you say are the new challenges facing game developers and artists today? Man, when you read off iOS, Android, Steam, itch, all I can think of really is the amount of oversaturation in a couple of those markets, uh, specifically iOS. Like, if you ever type in Clash of Clans to an iPhone, I know specifically, you'll scroll down not even like two games, and it's all these like shameless rip-offs and asset flips and over-clutters <laughs> and all this kind of thing. Like, so I think the hardest part nowadays is to make your game stand out above the rest. And I know it sounds like it's a very like, oh, you got to be better than everyone else. And like, that's kind of poisonous attitude. I'm not meaning it like that, but there can just be a lot of clutter to sort through. I mean, we've all seen Steam Greenlight in the way it is right now. Um, so I think... Yeah, one of the biggest challenges is creating something special enough to get people's attention. Because, like now, it's not enough just to get your game on Steam. It's not enough just to put your game somewhere. You also have to market it. You also have to advertise and tell people about it and try and spread the word. And you have to get it while the first hour of launch and all this other thing. It just seems so overwhelming sometimes. Um and I wish I could have some sort of advice for that, but I haven't been around long enough. I, like, I've never actually launched anything. Uh, Couch Party will be my first ever title I'm going to attempt to sell. Uh, and so it's something that is a little worrying, but I'm trying to appeal to a very specific demographic, which is retro-style, arcade, lightweight uh, couch multiplayer. Mm -hmm. Um and hopefully publishing it on places like HIO and Game Jolt, those aren't as oversaturated as some of the other places. Um, and they're lightweight websites with lightweight prices. Hopefully it'll get some more people to uh, show up to it. Uh -huh. uh, since 
you mentioned the oversaturation, and I remember I was at one Unity developer gathering, and then they joked about having this feature where there is a red button, you press it, and the game you want is done. And then someone <laughs> made the comment that there are so many games in the market. What's the solution? He said, well, the solution is not to have this button then and make it harder to make games. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no. And like, like, if there's anything I've realized through being in school for it is making a game is hard. <laughs> like, I don't think the average, like... I don't want to say average person that makes me sound uppity, but like, I don't think a lot of people realize exactly how hard it is to make a game. I mean, yeah, you got the art and the sound and the 3d models, but you have logo design and user interface theory and like all this stuff. And so if you're trying to make your game stand out above the rest, that's even more work you need to put into how hard it all is. And, uh, man, if you have a big red button that just says make game, good Lord, I couldn't find anything. Man, oh man, I hope they're not thinking about that as a feature. That scares me. <laughs> yeah, it's scary me too. Which is ironic, I mean, granted, which I, is ironic, really, right? We have to make it yeah. a bit harder. Like, let's make them work a bit for it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it is fun, though. I love every minute of doing it, everything about it. There's a personal challenge to try and do everything by myself, but with the size of or the size that couch party has grown i've actually um i've been talking to will from skirmish uh-huh. uh and he's gonna do like the intro theme for the game oh and that takes a great. little bit of work off of me yeah yeah that's great uh so by the way just quick question about couch party since you're trying to build these couch games what sort of couch couch games you like and inspired you to start working on it yeah totally um so there are two that specifically inspired uh couch party is um there's a pixel art uh platform fighter uh called rivals of aether and that hit the indie scene not too long ago it's getting really popular um and i didn't even think that a platform fighter could work outside of smash brothers. Like I felt that smash brothers had that entire scene dominated and nobody would ever play anything like that. And that those, all the physics and calculations and moves would just be so hard. Uh, but then I saw this game called rivals of Aether and somebody was playing it and it's a pixel art, heavy smash brothers type thing. Uh, and it was just fascinating how it worked so well. It was, it's completely 2d, and it just worked really well and it felt good. And so I thought, okay, th- that was fun. That, that was fun to play. And I had the idea for a while. Um, and then I saw games uh, like Brawlhalla, which is all like flash vector-based 2D graphics. And that's a really good fighting game. Uh, and lastly, there is uh, a guy on Twitter, at Early Melon, like, like a watermelon that gets up early. Um, and uh, he is... He's making something that if you go and look at it, you can tell like directly is my heaviest inspiration for Ninja Couch Party. Uh, I'm not like I'm not stealing anything from him, of course. I'm deviating a lot of the ideas and uh, mechanics, but he's making another very like Asian fighting style um, oriented game. And I saw that 
on Twitter and I was like, I need to try this. I need to challenge myself. I would love to do something like it. And so I started that last October. And after getting about maybe two weeks into it, I was like, oh, I can take this further. And then I took another two weeks. I was like, oh, I can take this further. And after three months, I was like, I'm going to push this to sell. Oh. And yeah, it started from there. Have you started reaching, sorry, tried reaching to him and telling him that this this game was inspired by him or no? It was actually him that pushed me to keep working on it. Oh, nice. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, I, had, I had made... My first sprite that was size 32 pixels by 32 pixels. That was a huge, like, scary thing for me. And I made a little ninja guy with a three-frame walk cycle. Uh, and my Twitter thing for it was, like, a little thing I had made. And then I tagged, uh, I tagged him. And I said, thanks for the inspiration from your character. Uh, and he responds to it. And this is a guy with, like, thousands and thousands of like people following him and stuff. And he was, he, he responded to it and he said, this is very good. And then he kept on like adding to the responses, giving me little like criticisms and ways to improve upon it. Uh, and then I had made something else a while later, tagged him in it and then he kept going. And so he never, he didn't actually say like, Oh, you should keep working on this. But through his, I guess, encouragement from an artist and a developer that I respect so much if him telling me that this is cool, that was like, it was like really, really cool for me. Um, and so I was like, if, if this guy enjoys it, I should push it further. And so I feel like I, I kind of spiritually got his blessing to keep working on it. Lovely. Lovely. Yep. Uh, total respect for him. Uh, mm -hmm. I'll, I'll mention him in the show notes, definitely. Yeah. So, uh, Brannon, let's, just assume you find the magic lamp. You're rabbits. <laughs> genie comes out, and he's different kind of genie. He doesn't give like open wishes. He's gonna grant. Oh, no. still, yeah, he's still gonna grant you three wishes. Uh, you can. Yeah. What skill do you want to master and be the best at? What company or game do you want to be working on with? And name one person you want to be working with in that studio or game. You can take him along. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Okay. Uh, the first one was what skill do you want to master? Yeah? Yeah. Okay. Um, oh, that's a curveball. <laughs> so I think, I think probably would be the skill I think I would want to master is leadership in the game development environment. Um, I already, I already feel like I'm pretty okay at leading people and organizing groups and that kind of thing. Um, I'm an Eagle scout. So I had a lot of like training for that. Uh, but management in making games, I mean, even in this little seven person game jam team, I have, it's really hard to keep everyone together. It's hard to know how GitHub works. <laughs> like it's <laughs> and knowing all the tools and knowing how work pipelines between different fields in games, between artists and texturers and programmers. And so if there was anything I could like snap my finger or ask the genie to master would just be go ahead. I want to know how to really efficiently organize people 
to make games. Well, I'd say that's a to... pretty smart answer. I was expecting like programming, <laughs> pixel art, uh, <laughs> math, like Laplace transform. I want to get it. Oh, hold on. No, let's change it to math. <laughs> <laughs> Too late. <laughs> Second one, yeah? Yeah, what company or game do you want to be working on? Okay, uh, this is like a real company? Um, if you have fictional, I assume there is some company or game you really wish to work on. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, this is going to be like super lame because everybody says, uh, says it, but uh, I want to work for Bethesda really, really, really badly. Uh-huh. Um, as with many other people, I'm, I'm no one special, but when Skyrim came out, that was like such a mind-blowing experience. Like, never had a game enthralled me so much with the sense of adventure and like openness and infiniteness as something like Zelda has. Um, and I played Skyrim for a long time. I still go back and play Skyrim every now and then. Like, that game came out in 2011. It was like six years ago, and people are still playing Skyrim. Like, it's legendary. The Fallout series, people are still playing Fallout. Everything Bethesda touches turns to gold, basically. And I love their company because they take a lot of time to work on their games. They're not pumping out the next iteration of a franchise every year. They're taking their time, and they're really making sure. And I can tell they love and respect their IPs. Um, if I had my dream job, it would be a level designer and actor scripter in Bethesda. So digging around through the, uh, creation kit, um, in the Skyrim days, mm-hmm. I had found that they, uh, they call their characters actors. I don't know if that's like a standard throughout the industry, mm-hmm. uh, but actor scripting is, how they code the characters to move around. Like what dictates that this NPC walks up and offers you a quest and then it takes your camera away from you and makes you look at them. And this NPC runs out and fights that skeleton. Like I want to uh, have a hand in creating those player experiences where you're walking through the cave with your best friend. And then all of a sudden he turns your camera around and he's holding a knife and he betrays you and the characters are like oh no and the players are talking about that on the forums and like i i want to have a hand in those awesome experiences for the players mm. great uh how what scale okay uh, one to ten how lame is it that i haven't played skyrim or fallout <laughs> oh come on man. <laughs> <laughs> I swear I have them. I want to play them. <laughs> I don't have time. Because everyone says it takes forever to finish and I don't have forever yet. <laughs> so I play the shorter games. <laughs> I don't play... I mean, no, no. Um, probably two, but... Uh... Okay, that, that's, that's merciful. Oh. I, I'll, I'll, I'll go with two. <laughs> no, no, I'm just kidding. No. It's... Don't don't let like time stop you from playing Skyrim. Everybody should play Skyrim. You, you can play it for even... 30 minutes at a time and like you'll get enough of it to know what everybody is talking about um i think even from a developer standpoint studying some of the instances in skyrim is really important like well 
when I first started playing it, I was 14 or 15, maybe even younger than that. Yeah, no, 14 probably. Um, and back in the day, I'm like, oh, big swords and fire axes blaze through everything and kill everything. That's fun. Um, but I reapproached it uh, earlier this past year. And I decided to take it slow and I decided to listen to all the dialogue and turn off the quest markers and just kind of walk around the world. And I was amazed at how many subtle details in world building that they had done. Uh, I was finding things seven years later that I didn't even know were in the game because I just like took it time. I took it slow and I took the time to find all the little things. Like if you talk to an NPC, he'll say like, I need you to go find my friend. He's out past the sign and in the river fishing outpost, there's a green sign on the door, right? In the world, there is actually all of those things he described. You can turn off the quest marker and still find it, right? They take really, really careful attention to everything in their world. And that's going back to how you can tell they really care about uh, their IPs. So if nothing else, um, I think Skyrim is a good game to study for world building. I, I see a lot of people praising it, so I definitely want to try it. At least, even if I don't have the time to finish it, I definitely at least want to try it. <laughs> Let's see what it's all about. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, so you're down two wishes, one wish left. Name one person, and this person can be me, by the way. But, anyways, <laughs> <laughs> name one person you want to be working with in that studio on, on that game. Oh, boy. Um,. Geez, now like I'm I'm gonna send this podcast to all of my friends and like at this moment they're all like, Oh pick me. No, I'll take me with you. <laughs> um, I'll give you a special edition just for the friend that you mentioned. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um so Okay. Um see like I don't really know that many big names in the industry. I think that's part of me only have been around it for for only two years but like i would probably i would probably want to take my older brother mm. with me um i honestly have him to thank for all of my choices like if if he didn't sit down with me and show me how to play starcraft you know like all those years ago mm-hmm. i probably wouldn't be as into video games as i am now shoot i might be even doing sports Ugh. um but uh yeah i would i would probably take him along like if he wants to work for a game i think that would be an awesome opportunity to get the two of us working on something it'd be fun that definitely would be fun and maybe one day on your indie game why not yeah yeah that's that's the plan (laughs) Uh, okay, so uh, let's go to the next question. Uh, you did mention parts of where you get your inspiration, but is there a specific source you always look to to get your inspiration? And is there other games or game developers and developers and artists that you look up to and try to learn from besides what you already discussed? Mm. Um, for general inspiration and like pushing to keep going with whatever kind of game design I'm doing. Uh, I think about my friends and my colleagues here at school. I've met so many 
amazing people here and uh they all have their own things that they love to do and like everyone's specialties by this point is starting to pop up after two years uh and so i think about just all of the awesome connections and friends and talents and how i want them all to be proud of me and i want i want to uh encourage myself and everyone else to be better at making games and always be learning more and trying new things um if i'm looking for something specific so like i'm looking for like let's just say a pixel art inspiration i will you know google something uh i'll something whatever i'm working on and then pixel art and then i'll scroll through google images and i'll see what kind of things speak to me um sometimes if i'm feeling in a certain kind of mood uh i'll google pictures of like I want to draw a mountain range or I want to draw a forest or I want to do something like that. I think oftentimes uh, certain visual aesthetics can affect uh, how your output is, right? So for example, if it's one in the morning and I'm still working on something, uh, I turn on like some very relaxing, like chill music on Spotify. I have a little playlist for it. Um, I have that kind of running in the background maybe i'm i've googled a youtube video of listening to a snowstorm sound like i don't know i have all these weird little tricks to kind of like keep me working but sometimes inspiration to keep going just comes from your own little ways of doing personal meditation mm-hmm. uh okay is there a game you have in mind that you think one day i want to have what it needs to build this big scale game projects and can you share a little about it yes actually um so i've been thinking a lot about uh spaceships recently um and some of my friends here if they ever end up hearing this they're going to be like oh the, the, this is the thing he, he he was talking about because everyone's been kind of poking me they're like hey i've seen you've been sharing pictures of spaceships what you doing on twitter like what is this i keep telling everyone no no it's a secret don't worry about it um so you're you're breaking the secrets here i'm flattered yes (laughs) (laughs) yeah so do you know the the star wars movie that just came out the seventh one uh last year what's star wars i'm kidding (laughs) oh my god i was about to be so embarrassed oh my god (laughs) because yes no No, this filthy American thinking he knows everything. Oh no! <laughs> oh no! Oh my God! Like my my jaw dropped. I was like, Oh God, no! I have to end this. <laughs> okay, so you do know Star Wars? Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Okay, okay. Uh, so did you see uh, the Force Awakens? Yes. Last year. Okay, so. Remember the very uh, starting sequence where we didn't know the main character yet and there was this hooded masked figure that was salvaging parts from an abandoned star uh, destroyer? Mm -hmm. She was kind of climbing around and picking out little things from it. Mm -hmm. So, So imagine you as a player. You start out on some... It doesn't have to be a desert, but some kind of some kind of like not a very desirable planet to live on. Um, and you're, uh, uh, kind of a young adult. Um, 
and you have this little like spaceship hole and you've been working on the spaceship for your entire life. Like ever since you were a teenager, you knew the paint job you wanted. You knew the wing style, you knew the guns, you knew the cockpit, you knew what coffee thing you wanted in the back, right? Like you have this spaceship. It's like your pride and joy that you've been building for years and years and years. And so you're going around on this planet. It doesn't have to be a big planet, just like a big open space. Uh, And you're salvaging parts from old structures and crash spaceships and you're you have your little space currencies that you're selling and bartering to buy more parts and then so you spend the first hour or so of the game creating these parts so like wings and guns and cockpit glass and you place them manually on your spaceship kind of like a puzzle piece style so you can design it how you want you start out with like the hole and then you it kind of has like snap nodes i would imagine so like i want this style of wing to go on this side and this here and this here and this here and this here and you kind of make your spaceship however you want it to look and then you finally have enough to buy the engine and you stick that thing in there and that's the first maybe hour or two of the game you fly up and there's a little there's a little cutscene. You go up into outer space. It's first person now, and you're inside of your cockpit, and you can see the metal panes holding in the glass, and you look to your left, and then there's the planet that you just left, and you can see how big it is. And you look out to the right, and there are four other planets. But you can't reach any of them yet. They're a little too far away. But in the middle... Like So a little closer to you, I don't know yet if it would be a planet or a space station, but let's say it's a space station. Have you ever been to something like a world fair where it's a whole bunch of market stalls set up and like all these people are selling things? Yeah. Yeah. So imagine that, but it's like a world's fair. Mm-hmm. And so you go into the center point and you fly there and you're flying manually, right? Um, that's something that destiny specifically didn't do that i was excited about was the flying was a cutscene. no in this game you'll be flying manually and this is your spaceship that's the core of it so you fly and you land in this world's fair and there's all kinds of aliens and things yelling at you and telling at you to buy things and it's it's so much like rich culture in this area and then so after that it spurs on to be like, oh, I can't reach any of those other planets yet without a warp drive. And then the guy's like, oh, I'll sell you a warp drive, but you have to do something for me first. And then the game goes from there. Mm-hmm. And this is an idea that's been kind of bumping around uh, in my head for a couple months now. And I think the name of the game will be Odyssey. Let me, let me trademark that name in just a minute. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, just something about the freedom of outer space combined with i mean like that's that's your cockpit that's your vehicle that's 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 your ship right i want to really instill that awesome this is my adventure feeling that's my dream game and the ship is the best thing you have in your life yeah yeah it's like building a car from scratch same thing that looks looks great and you've thought a lot a lot of details already Mm mm-hmm Mm-hmm. Uh, the way you describe yeah. the planet, it reminds me of Phantom Menace when they were looking for spare parts for their ship. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh. Exactly. And like, so at the start of the game, your ship is going to look like a piece of junk. Mm-hmm. It's going to, there's going to be like rusted landing gears and bolts kind of sticking out of where they don't need to be, but it's your ship. Like you built it. And so the more hours you put into the game, the more, mm-hmm. I guess you can find better parts and better tools to make better things. And then you'll go to the world's fair. And then all of a sudden there's a, new shop for blasters that opens up and then, Oh, now I have a gun. I can go to the hostile planet. Yeah. Yeah. So all sorts of, so from what you can tell, this is a huge undertaking. So that would be my dream game. And knowing me, I'll probably start it next year. (laughs) (laughs) Don't you think if you started too early, you might like jinx it and like burn the great idea you have. (laughs) Yeah. Like that's actually something that, uh, the professors would tell us at the start of game design school mm-hmm. is don't start with your dream project uh-huh. because you won't be able to give it the kind of attention it needs. Um, but I feel like by this point, and especially after I'm finished with couch party, cause that's priority right now. Mm-hmm. Um, after I finish with that, I will have garnished a lot of skills necessary to put at least a proof of concept mm-hmm. together. And then that that game idea will just be kind of like back in the wings until I would be able to find opportunity someday to actually work on it. Uh-huh. Uh, I'll definitely keep looking for updates on this. <laughs> uh, keep me posted. It looks very interesting. Thank you. Uh, now, as a gamer, what kind of games you mentioned uh, already Skyrim and Bethesda? Uh, are there any specific kind of games you like and have you played any games recently that you would recommend us try maybe not mainstream games things we haven't tried yeah sure uh let's see let me pull up my steam library uh <laughs> so um we don't have time for to go through 400 games i don't think <laughs> we had a joke back in uh high school a friend of mine it's like you're not a real pc gamer until your steam library has a scroll bar <laughs> <laughs> that's a good one um i'll start with the um uh, what are my kinds of games? Oh, God, like, I think, mm, okay, you're going to have to give me a second to think about this one. Take your time. Yeah. Especially since recently my time constraints through school haven't left me to take on any undertaking of like big storytelling games and stuff. It's all been a lot of like quick pickup matches of overwatch and that kind of thing. Like it's only quick gaming whenever I have the time. Um, but at the moment I would say my kinds of games are, uh, the arcade style quick to pick up, Uh, so anything like Smash Brothers or Overwatch or Team Fortress or just things that can be played very quickly and they're very social, uh, they're fun, they're they're colorful. That's kind of where I'm at at the moment. I can see the game uh, industry is going towards more colorful and character-based and stuff. And, like, 
I, I, I know I keep saying it, but after Overwatch came out, all of a sudden everyone is like, oh, what? We don't have to sell gritty shooters with angry white men on the covers? What? What is this? <laughs> <laughs> um, and so I've, I've been really into games that, let's say, express themselves more. Um, but as far as, like, weird things that I would recommend to play... Um, honestly, I would say the original Doom. Mm-hmm. Uh, I played Doom 2016 this past Christmas, and it was awesome. Okay. It was honestly one of my favorite games. It was really, really good. They did an amazing job, like throwing it back to the original style. Um, I don't think I was alive when Doom came out, uh, uh-huh. but I went back and I played it not too long ago and i was just amazed at how a it didn't take itself seriously because it didn't have to it's a game about shooting demons on mars mm-hmm. uh but specifically you can look at it and see how all of its enemies feel very different uh you have shooting games these days where you're faced with just waves of npcs and it's become more of a like check a is that thing moving if yes then shoot it like that's kind of how it's been for a while i'm specifically looking at call of duty but there's lots of other examples (laughs) um when you go back to doom it's like oh that's a that's a floating head guy i need to put distance away from him because he will shoot fireballs at me or this is a big brown guy i need to get up close to him because he's better at this distance right so like all of the enemies in that game uh, feel very different, and it forces you to change up your play style based on what bad guys are in the room. There's this dynamic that comes from it. When you kick down a door, you have like only a split second to analyze what threats are in the room. You're like, okay, I see the close-range guy, a close-range guy, then there's three long-range guys, then there's one explodey guy. And you have just like that split second before the AI comes to kill you to decide what you're going to do for that room. And those kinds of dynamics are really, really important in like very engaging games. And I think if the first person shooter genre needs to continue, uh, because we've seen definitely a lot of oversaturation of that in the AAA industry recently. I think if first person shooters want to continue with the same gusto that they have, they need to start bringing back those kinds of dynamics. Totally agree. As I see the... E3 events, uh, especially the Xbox, I think, not at least last year or the year before, maybe. It was first person after first person. And when I play a game like Far Cry or Call of Duty, I enjoy it. But then after I finish it, I don't feel I want to play another one. Just yeah. like it. Yeah, exactly. It's not a first person, but uh, have you looked at Horizon? I have. Um, I don't have $60. I'm in college. I can barely afford money as it is. <laughs> but I would love to play Horizon. The thing is, when, what you mentioned describes exactly what Horizon got right, which is they have really? a huge amount of different machine enemies, let alone the uh, like human enemies. And these machines uh-huh. each have, without spoiling anything, each have their own strengths, weaknesses, and the strengths and weaknesses are spots specific so you have to plan how you want to hit them and what weapon and where and different enemies so which one are you gonna engage with first are you gonna try to sneak are you gonna try to attack that one first and are you gonna try to like uh 
uh, disassemble the she uh, the shield first, the armor first, or the weapon. You have a lot of planning to do. Right, right. Uh, I think you'll love it oh, since awesome. you mentioned Doom. I I hope you manage to <laughs> to get it. Yeah. Or maybe just wait. For well, I have the new job. Yeah, yeah. I have a a new job I just got. I'm actually starting tomorrow morning. Uh, I'm going to be a game master at an uh, escape room, which is like you go in there with a group of friends and I will lock you in a room and you have to like solve all the puzzles, find the thing and get out within like an hour or so. Uh, so hopefully I'll have some uh, some more pocket cash to get this game. It looks really good. I'm looking at pictures of the enemies right now. Cool, cool. Yeah, ho- hope you do and uh, definitely sure you'll enjoy it. Um, I'm at the end of it right now. I'm trying to finish it as fast as I can. <laughs> yeah, I know. I I tend to ramble. I'm very sorry about that. That's fine. So, as a game developer, when playing games, do you subconsciously try start analyzing the art of the game, the music, the code? How did they develop this? Do you see the game in meshes rather than seeing the model itself? (laughs) Um, Yes and no. Uh, It depends on... It depends on what I'm playing. Um, I'll go back to Overwatch one more time. Overwatch, no, I don't. That game is so polished and fun. Like, all I want to do is play it, right? But um, if it's something like... Okay, let's say if it's anything with an in-game map editor, so like Doom or Skyrim or something, like then yes, I'm always thinking about like, oh, how does this AI work? Or like, what if I stand in front of this door, does this thing happen? Or I'm I'm walking around and I'm like, where where is that dialogue trigger? Like, where is the invisible collider box for that? I mean, yeah, I think that's just habits that any dev kind of just like picks up as they go um it's actually funny my friends and i have been working in unity for so long we can start to kind of just tell if a specific game is made in unity just by kind of like looking at it for a minute (laughs) there's i don't know just something about the way it the way it looks the way it feels like oh yeah it's probably made in unity um yeah like it it definitely happens but i tend not to make it I tend not to take it too seriously unless I'm specifically studying a game for a design standpoint. Mm-hmm. And as a developer slash artist, what kind of things upset you in a game that you think are bad habits, but bad implementations, bad designs uh, that you would rather do differently if it was you? I thought you said you were trying to push this along. You're asking me all these hard questions. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so... We've officially break, broke our record, podcast length record today. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. No, um, no, I'm really enjoying it. <laughs> okay, great. Yeah, me too. Um, okay. So, because this is... A very very broad thing i think i'll address it in a broad manner mm-hmm. uh, i hate seeing missed opportunity in a game uh so from a developer standpoint uh i hate seeing cutscenes where something plays out and I'm thinking like, well, why didn't you just let me do that? Like that explosion was awesome. I want to run away from that explosion. I don't want to watch my character run away from that explosion. Um, from an artist standpoint, I don't know. Like 
personally, I don't think I'm enough of a seasoned artist yet to be able to really pick apart games in that way. But uh, something that does kind of bug me a little bit is seeing reused enemy models just scaled slightly larger and colored differently for bosses. (laughs) Um, I think that, like, if you have a boss character, you can definitely put a little bit more work into it than just duplicating the enemy model and making it bigger. Um, Something specifically, I did remember as I was talking, um, something specifically that does upset me is two specific quest markers. Uh, T-O-O, two specific quest markers. Uh, There's a game design channel on YouTube called Game Maker's Toolkit, and he has a video about this called The Little Dotted Line. And a specific example is there's uh, a game like kind of a in-engine cutscene thing where you're with an NPC and there's like a bridge you have to get to that's about 40 feet away from you in a straight line and it freezes the camera it goes into cutscene mode and it says we need to cross that bridge and then the camera zooms in on the bridge and places a little UI marker right there on it that is always on the compass and you can always see it and literally the bridge is like a four second walk away um I I think games need to trust the player a little bit more in that sense. Like, yeah, no, we can find the bridge. You don't need to tell me that. <laughs> uh, is, um, do, do you think it could be that it's not trusting that he can't find it, but that they have to control the movement of him? What if he on purpose tries not to find it, try to walk around, and then I have to do a lot more checking and control on the camera and the character movement so that he, he doesn't screw up the game. Do you think that's <laughs> a good reason? You know, I actually hadn't thought about that. I, thank you for bringing that like other point up. That's I, Even still, I think there would be a way around it. Um, a predecessor to Skyrim, I think it was either Morrowind or Oblivion. It might have been Marwin, your your quest compass was a piece of paper that your character had written down what the NPC had said. So if the NPC says, go to this town, it's by the waterfall, there's no quest marker pointing to the waterfall. You just have to know where it is. You have to go find it. Uh, the, new, the new Zelda does a very good job of that. Um, so... Yeah, that's that. That would be something uh, I think I would do differently in some games is uh, objective marking. Mm-hmm. Well, thanks for these points. Uh, now, Brandon, your career looks very promising. At this early stage, you're getting into different game jams, trying different things, and already have plans for big game, which I hope you'll get to make. Where can people find more about you and keep up with your updates? Uh, since I'm a student and I don't have a whole lot to show yet apart from like screenshots and stuff, uh, you can follow me on Twitter, uh, at under or at Brannon underscore Vidic. Um, that's where a lot of my stuff goes to. If, if you're on skirmish, um, if I have something I'm specifically proud of, I'll post it to skirmish. Um, but basically my Twitter is where you can stay, uh, regularly updated with, the stuff I do and when I'm live streaming and stuff. Uh, if you want to play something I've made or see some of my showcase uh, artwork, you can go to brandonvidic.com. That's my website. And you can see all of my like quote unquote professional portfolio there. Great. Thanks. And we're reaching the end of the interview. I really enjoyed it. Uh, before I say goodbye, would you like to add anything before we wrap up? 
Yes. One last thing. Um, don't limit yourself by saying like, oh, I can't do that. Or, oh, I don't, I don't know how to do that. I shouldn't try it. One of the reasons I'm able to pursue, like, I want to do programming. I want to do art. I want to do music. Like, yeah, I know there are people that go to school specifically for these things. I know I don't have all the years of training, but I don't care. I want to do it anyway. And I'm having a blast with it. I'm just kind of learning it as I go. Um, so like, don't let the events of your surroundings like affect what you want to do. If there's something you want to try, just do it. Google a YouTube video, figure out how to do it. Like I see some people, specifically freshmen, I help teach programming sometimes, uh, specifically freshmen, and they're like, oh, I'm not good at art. I don't want to, I don't want to try and make my own assets for this project. I don't even want to try. And then yet they end up like giving up on something that could have been really cool. So I would say, don't allow yourself to limit your skills. Just try it. Just try it if you want to look into it. Great, great advice, Brandon. Please take it to heart. I, I'll take it to heart. I'll try my best. I'm horrible <laughs> at art. I keep trying every now and then. <laughs> I'm going to keep trying as well. Hopefully like, to make something half decent at least. <laughs> I generally take a screw it attitude. Like, I don't care if it's not that good, but I made it. Look at what I did. I'll do it again next time. Uh, uh, Brannon, thank you so much for your time. And sorry we took longer than expected, but I really enjoyed the interview. So thanks for your time. And you've been our first guest from the United States, by the way. Oh, sweet. Yeah, awesome. Thank you so much for having me. I had a blast doing this. This was very fun. Me too, me too. So, Brandon, I'm gonna leave you now. You have your job to start tomorrow, and I assume other work to get to. Uh, thank you so much, yeah. and hope, hope, hope to have you again in the future. Awesome, thank you. Thank you, bye. Bye-bye.